thank you very much for the welcome, and nice to be with you this morning. We're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, continuing our, uh, to look at the Lord Jesus and his life on earth. Our passage today, it starts with this question, a very straightforward question that somebody asked the Lord Jesus. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will only a few people be saved? How would you answer that question? Hands up. We'll do A, B, C. Will only a few be saved? A, right? Some might think that's very old-fashioned. We don't talk like that anymore about being saved. Some might think, saved from what? Why do we need to be saved? I'm not drowning. And others might think, well, in the end, I think most people will be okay. You know, maybe the very worst people won't be, but all the good people in the world will be fine. Well, let's see how the Lord Jesus answered that question. And we'll break in at Luke chapter 13 and verse 22, and we'll read right through to verse 30. It says, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So in this passage, Jesus actually describes the kingdom of God like a big enormous party, the biggest party ever. People from every age of history, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets, and people from all over the world, it says, from the east and west, the north and south, all gathered, and it says, reclining a table in the kingdom of God. So back then, that's how they had a party. They all had these couch things, and they reclined at tables, right, and feasted. Now, you try to imagine this amazing gathering. You're having a feast, a party with Abraham, right, and Isaac, and the prophets, like Daniel or Jeremiah. You're able to have a chat with Jeremiah. So the title for our talk, based on David Gooding's book on Luke, is The Glorious Company of the Saints. <laughs> he is saying this is going to be some party. See, the kingdom of God, this is going to be some party. The party will be so good, Jesus is saying, you make this your priority to get in. <laughs> that is the number one priority in all of life. You make sure you get in. You know, many of us live for temporary happiness here in this life, and he says, don't, don't, forget about that. You, you strive for this. You make sure you don't miss out on this eternal joy. Be sure you reach, you get inside the kingdom of God, or you will have eternal regret. 
I, I don't know if this sounds relevant, all this talk of being saved. It's very old-fashioned, isn't it? it sounds like, this sounds like a gospel mission from 50 years ago. But this is not an old-fashioned preacher. This is the Lord Jesus himself. And he says to all of us, is there many that will be saved? You strive to enter in. Make sure this is the top priority in your life for you and your loved ones, your family, your friends. You make sure everybody is saved. Everybody is, is, gets in to the kingdom of God. This is the most important thing. Be sure of reaching the kingdom of God. Because there's a very real danger of being left outside. He says, many, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. And he actually describes that many will be surprised at being left out. He says they will, they will knock the doors and they were fully expected to be inside. And to their shock and horror, they realize they're locked out forever. The door is firmly shut. And when, when they look through the window into this party, they, they see just how many are inside. And that just adds to their distress. And they gnash their teeth in frustration at all these people being inside and themselves locked out. And they didn't realize the danger they were in. They drifted through life, fully expecting to be in the kingdom of God, hoping everything will be okay whenever they die. And now it was too late the door was shut. And maybe they, maybe they were the people who thought, whenever, said, whenever somebody asked them, are there many who will be saved? They thought, we don't need to be saved. We're in no danger. We're good people. We're certain to be on the inside. And he is saying, that is the very people who are in the most danger. If that was our response, Jesus is warning us that we're in the greatest danger of all, a danger of slipping into eternity, proud and complacent and completely unprepared. So let's heed his warning and notice carefully, what is it that determines who is in and who is out in the kingdom of God? And it's not really what determines, it's who determines. You notice this? It says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. In this passage, Jesus is claiming to be the, the master of the house. He's saying, it's my party. And when I bring in all my invited guests, then I will shut the door. So, so if we want to be in, in the party, we have to be on his guest list. The Lord Jesus is claiming to be the only way into God's kingdom. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. It's a, it's a narrow door. There's not loads of ways into God's kingdom. There's one. And he says, it's me. I am the master of the house. He claims this very same thing in John chapter 14, verse 6, a very famous verse where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> Narrow door, very exclusive. And these people were expecting to get in some other way. And they bang the door in protest and say, hey, we ought to be on you know, your, your guest list. We, we ought to be inside. You know us. We socialize together. Look at what they say. You, open to us. And, and they say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. You know us. Like we socialize together. We, we went to meals together. We heard you teach on our streets. 
Now, Jesus is, of course, talking in the immediate context to his contemporaries, to the people who lived with him back then in the same towns, in the same villages. And many of them knew Jesus in a very superficial way. They attended the same events. They went to the same synagogues. They heard him, you know, teach in the streets, but they never developed a friendship with him. They never went further than just knowing about him. They didn't take what he said very seriously, and they certainly didn't realize just who this was who was walking their streets. This is the master of the house. And he is warning them, if they remain like that in the ultimate day, he will have to say to them, I know you not. I I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. We have no personal friendship. So, so here is the way in. Here's the most important thing in life, that we develop a, a personal friendship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus is not, you know, just one way to God. He is the way, the narrow, the narrow door. When this life is over, there will only be one party, and it's his. And he is the host, the master of the house. And all that will matter is that we are on his list. We are his friends. That's all that will matter. I don't know if you've ever had to decide a guest list, ever had to organize a wedding. That's a nightmare, isn't it? You've got the mandatory ones, the family, you've no choice, right? But then you have to decide, are these real friends or just kind of circumstantial friends? And the Lord Jesus is writing the hugest guest list of all his real friends throughout all history, from every nation on earth. And he's not fooled by any who will turn up and say, you know me, I went to church, I was baptized, I heard lots of teaching from the Bible. If we have no real relationship with him, he will say, I do not know you, and shut the door. That's a fearful thought, isn't it? So how can we be sure that we are not one of those people who will be surprised to be shut out Well, actually, the start of chapter 14 gives us an example of some people who are in that very danger. And here in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, we have another party, but this time Jesus is the guest, not the host. It says this, chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So here's another party. And the host this time is a a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, as you know, the Pharisees were the strictest religious group within the Jewish religion. So a ruler of the Pharisees was like a super-duper holy man, right? He He was a prime example of someone who was fully expecting to be on the guest list of the kingdom of God. And he is in danger of being horrified, of seeing Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets inside and himself cast out. 
And he'll be even more frustrated and horrified when he sees all these random people from the east and west and north and south inside in the kingdom of God and he himself cast out. All these people that he considered unholy from all over the world and he, the holy man of God, cast out, locked out. And do you know what he'd be most shocked by? He'd maybe be most shocked by who's the host of that party. Jesus Christ. And he, he, he'll maybe knock the door and protest and say, hey, you know me. You know, I, I ate and drank in your presence. Remember that time you came to my house? I heard you teach in the streets. And Jesus will say, we have no friendship. Because this was not a genuine invitation there was nothing genuine about it. He wasn't inviting Jesus over to his house as a friend. This was a trap. Look. It was all carefully planned. They had deliberately invited Jesus on the Sabbath, the Jewish holy day. And they had arranged a man with dropsy, with a, the disease of dropsy to be there, to watch if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath, on the holy day. And in their reckoning, if Jesus did, that would break God's holy Sabbath. And then him, his, the host, and his mates would have this great old party, great old time, condemning Jesus as a sinner, throwing him out and locking the door in him, shutting the door in him. That was the plan, but it didn't go so well. Because Jesus, of course, spots the trap straight away, and he just puts the issue straight out on the table. Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not. And they must not have been able to quote the Old Testament in this case, for sure, about healing on the Sabbath. They couldn't quote anything. And they hadn't thought to make up a rule about this because they hadn't come across anyone who could heal like Jesus before. So they didn't know what to say. And Jesus, out of love for this man who was being used as bait, he heals him and sends him away on his way rejoicing. And then he turns to the other guests and he says, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And again, complete silence. It's quite the party, isn't it? I, I'm not so good with awkward silences, especially at parties. This is the moment at which I say something stupid, right? Just to break the ice. Put on some background music. Abba, anybody, you know? But Jesus is not being unkind. He, 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 you know, the, the very opposite, he is exposing their religious pride. He, he's ruining their little plans of, of, a, of their dinner party out of love for these men to give them a chance to repent. They thought they were good enough for God's kingdom. In reality, they needed a radical change of heart and attitude. You see, that man who, who they had planted had a deadly disease. He was in danger of imminent death. And Jesus heals him immediately. But these men were in far greater danger, danger of eternal separation from the kingdom of God. And healing them was much more difficult. The man had dropsy. And that means his limbs were swollen. He was bloated. He was full of water. And he, it could kill him at any time. But they were full of something far worse. They were full of pride and self-righteousness. And they made up rules about the Sabbath to convince themselves that they were better than others. And Jesus had come to burst their bubble 
and he confronts their hypocrisy. He says, if your son or ox falls into, you know, water on the Sabbath, you will immediately pull him out. You wouldn't risk them drowning for a minute. So how could God risk this man's life for a whole day? You know, their rules made, up, made it look like God didn't care about people. He cared more about his rules. And Jesus exposed that their made-up rules, they weren't really concerned for God or for others like this man. All they were concerned about was for themselves. They had designed the rules to suit themselves. So they said, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, not allowed. Me pulling out my ox on the Sabbath, all good. So Jesus corners and exposes them, and sadly, all they respond with is stony silence. They could not refute the truth, yet they stubbornly refuse to admit it. They stick to their own beliefs in silence. And this shows us that this is what is needed. If we want to be on heaven's guest list, it's not just hearing Jesus teaching these men had heard it. They were confronted with it right here. It's agreeing with it. It's responding to it in humility. It's being willing to change. You know, these men had heard Jesus teach in their streets, but they didn't like what they heard. They invited him over to trap him, to condemn him, in order to affirm themselves in their own beliefs, but it backfired. And Jesus confronted and exposed their beliefs as false. That's what he does to all of us, right? We all want to be affirmed, especially nowadays. Our society is obsessed with being affirmed in our own beliefs, but Jesus isn't good at that. He's, he doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He confronts us. He confronts our false beliefs. Whenever we think we're, we're, we have it all right, all our opinions are true, he shows us they're not. They're false. And just like them, our greatest danger is our pride and self-righteousness. And we need the courage to invite Jesus genuinely into our lives, to let him expose our pride and hypocrisy, our self-righteousness. And one thing is for sure, because see, whenever it comes to the ultimate party, see the kingdom of God, there will be no one there with an attitude of self-righteousness. There will be no boasting or bragging in that party. All the guests will know that they do not deserve to be there. They will be eternally grateful to be on Jesus' guest list. They will be eternally grateful to the one who invited them in. So, so we'll have two parties, don't we? We have the ultimate party, and we have this sort of terrible party. The ultimate party where Jesus is the host, and this one where he was invited as the guest. But in between these two, we have... Two incidents at the end of chapter 13. And one involves the political ruler Herod and the other the city of Jerusalem. In the first, some Pharisees warn Jesus that Herod is threatening to kill him and tell Jesus to leave the area quickly. In the other, Jesus contemplates all the consequences Jerusalem would suffer because of their persistent rejection of him. So let's read this in Luke chapter 13, and we'll jump in at verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. But he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the Pharisees warned Jesus to leave King Herod's jurisdiction quickly because Herod wants to kill him. I am not sure if the Pharisees were trying to be helpful or probably using it as a means to get rid of Jesus. In any case, Jesus replies that he won't be chased away. He has work to do and he won't be leaving until it's done. His work is to cast out demons, to perform cures and eventually go on to Jerusalem to die. That's why he's come, to demonstrate the kingdom of God, to give a taste of the party that is to come. He was casting out demons, performing cures to say, this is what you can enjoy forever. Giving people a taste so that they might invite him into their lives, genuinely develop a friendship with him. But even with that, on his way to Jerusalem, he knew that the vast majority would reject him. And it broke his heart. Look at what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children, but you were not willing. You would not. He had come to save them. He had come to keep them safe, but they were not willing. Remember our question, are there few who are saved? Unfortunately, there are many who refuse to be saved. Many who are not willing, like the people of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. He says, your house is forsaken. Look, your house is left desolate or empty. Now, he's talking about the temple. Jerusalem's house means the temple, the house of God. And this is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ coming to his own house in his own city. And yet they rejected him. They threw him out and they shut the door. Do you see the contrast? He is saying, yes, one day I'm going to have to shut the door on many people, but it's only because they shut the door on me. And he is refusing to go away. He's refusing to to save himself from Herod's threat because he wants to give the people of Jerusalem one last chance to accept him. Look at the words, how often, how often he had been there to offer his friendship But this was the last time, and he says, I'm not going anywhere because I need to offer them one more chance. This is showing us that those who will be shut out from the kingdom of God are not people who who had no chance. They're people who had plenty of chances to be in, who persistently refused his pleas. They shut the door on him time and time again. And he says, if they persist, then I'm afraid I will have to shut the door on them. And Jesus compares himself to a mother hen willing to risk his own life to save her chicks when there's any danger by hiding them under her her wing. He will do that for any. He will save us from all the dangers. And for many years, you know, I was unwilling to to come to Jesus, just like Jerusalem. I kept refusing the Lord Jesus. I grew up going to church. I knew lots about him, but we had no personal relationship, me and him. Do you know why? Because I wanted to party, especially as a student actually here in Queen's University. And and you know what he did? He let me. 
Although it was hard to see at the time, you know, looking back, the parties and nightclubs weren't actually all that great. They're a lot like these ruler of the Pharisees party. There were no personal invites from the owners, just big crowds, expensive drinks. I came to see that if I died, you know, all those parties would just go on the next night, all as usual without me. No one would even notice. And all those years, as Jesus watched me waste my life, he just stood by, patiently waiting to see if I would give him a chance. This is what Jesus says to all of us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And just like he was going to do at Jerusalem once more, he was going to knock the door and say if they would ask if they would have him. And just like he did with me for many years, he just knocks the door over years and years. And notice how personal that is. It says, it's, it's Jesus himself. He wants a genuine friendship with each of us. And this great party in the, in the kingdom of God, it won't be like the nightclubs where people are just like cattle used for their money. You know, in his party, he will welcome in each one of his friends personally by name. And back then, I think if I was, had to turn down the music, maybe I would have heard a faint knock on the door of my heart as the Lord Jesus stood outside all those years saying, are you willing? And eventually I did see the emptiness of it. I yielded, I welcomed the Lord Jesus into my life as the master of my house. And since then, he has been preparing me to be a guest in his house. That's what he does. Whenever he comes into our life, he prepares us for his kingdom. He is still teaching me to repent of my pride, my self-sufficiency, my self-righteousness. He is helping me to get to know him and many of the other guests like Abraham and the prophets through his word. He is preparing me for, for to be a part of that party. And he is doing the same with millions of others all throughout the world. From the east and west, from the north and south, he's preparing millions right this day for the greatest party there will ever be. So do you see how this section starts with that question? Are there many who will be saved? Jesus doesn't answer it directly, but he says, you make sure you make that the biggest priority of your life. The most important thing of all is to be in the kingdom of God. And for that, we need to have a personal friendship, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Do you know why? Because it's his party. He is the host, the master of the house. He is the one who owns the future, the one with the ultimate guest list. And unfortunately, many will refuse his offer of friendship. Many of his contemporaries did back then, including the people of Jerusalem. So Jesus was going to widen his offer to millions throughout the world, including all of us here today, knowing that millions will accept him from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and they will have their name written on the greatest guest list of the greatest party that there will ever be. Let us give thanks for that. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your great invitation to us here this morning. At each one of us, Lord, how, how long did you stand at, at our door and knock and say, if if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me.
Lord, maybe there's some here this morning who, who have kept the door shut right till this day, the door of their heart. Lord, maybe in this quietness just now, they can hear a knock. As the Lord Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice, Lord, we pray that they would have the courage to let him in. He won't affirm their beliefs or their self-righteousness or pride. Certainly not. He will do the very opposite. He will shake us to our core. He will change our values, everything about us, so that we fit in to his party, so that we become one of his people. Lord, it will be, but it will be the best thing for us. It's not easy, but it is the best thing ever because it will prepare us for the life to come. We thank you, Lord, for all those here who have allowed you to come in. Lord, we thank you for your patience with each of us. I thank you for your patience with myself, Lord. Many years you stood by and watched as I shut the door on you time and time again, and yet you continued to knock. Lord, we pray and thank you that, you that you persisted with us. And we thank you that you're still persisting with us, still showing us our pride, our self-righteousness, still changing us, still teaching us about your word, teaching us about yourself, so that when that day comes, whenever you open the door to the greatest party that there will ever be, we will belong. It will be home. We will be there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, and it will be a party that we fit into because of your work in our lives. And we pray that you would continue to work in our lives, even this very day, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.